0: If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 39 is where we're going to be today. Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to start reading here in just a moment in verse number one. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you today, and uh, you can use that Bible. You can Uh, have that Bible. It's our gift to you if you need a Bible. And most of the verses should be on the screen today. I want to encourage you to be thinking of someone this week that you can invite for plus one Sunday next week. How many of you uh, know someone, uh, maybe in your family, maybe uh, a neighbor or a coworker that could use some encouragement? Anybody like that could use some encouragement? How many of you could think of someone that perhaps would appreciate an invitation if you invited them to Rock Hill next Sunday? Anybody like that? And uh, I'm believing that God's going to do something special next Sunday. And we want to do our best this week to go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in and have a plus one uh, with us next Sunday. And uh, we're believing God can use that uh, Sunday to do something special. In fact, let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer right now specifically for plus one Sunday. Would that be okay? Let's have a word of prayer for it. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together to worship you, to learn from your word. God, I pray that you would give us a unique boldness this week as we go out and we go to work and we uh, go home and go our separate ways I pray that you'd give us a boldness and a courage to invite others to church next Sunday God you have called us to be your hands and feet And you have commissioned us to preach the gospel to every creature, to every nation. And Lord, I pray that that would start right here in the Inland Empire. God, I pray that you would just give us opportunities and open doors to extend an invitation. Even if it might seem a little awkward or perhaps a little uncomfortable, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient and leave the results up to you. And God, I pray that you would bring in a harvest next Sunday and that we would see many lives changed through the power of the gospel. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Genesis chapter 39 is where we're going to be today. And if you are ready, would you say amen? Let's start reading Genesis 39, verse number 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord. Was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and made him an overseer of his house, and all that he had put in his hand. And it came to pass. From the time that he had made him an overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not not aught what he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored." And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Let's have a word of prayer together today. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the time that we had this morning worshiping you, worshiping you through song. And Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes you will fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. God, I pray that we can be encouraged in our time together and strengthened through your word. And, Lord, we believe that your word is perfect and inspired. And so, God, I pray that we would lean in today to Scripture and that we would find the exhortation that we need. Lord, I pray that as we travel through life and experience various testing and trials and difficulties, that we would stay faithful and that we would depend upon you during those seasons. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you enjoy taking tests? Can I see your hands? You enjoy taking tests, okay? Not very many of you today enjoy taking tests. Uh, I remember several years ago, I had to go and take a a series of tests to get a commercial driver's license. And to get a commercial driver's license, uh, you have to take several different tests. And I needed to do this in order to drive the church van. And so I had to go, and you have to take a medical uh, test, and you have to take a written test. You have to take a pre-trip inspection test. And then finally, you take the actual drive test. And I was kind of nervous about this process, and I went in, I passed the medical test, I passed the written test, and it was time to take that pre-trip inspection test. And I came in to take that test, and you have to kind of walk around the vehicle and point out all the things that need to be working correctly and make sure the brakes are, are working correctly and the windshield wipers are working correctly. And you have to know the exact measurement on the tread of the tires to know that those are in working good condition. And so I was going around, and I was pointing out all of the uh, different things that needed to be addressed, and I did pretty good. I was studied up. I was prepared, and, uh, and I did pretty good. I did miss one. The one point that I missed was I forgot to honk the horn. And uh, you're supposed to make sure that's working every time uh, you get into uh, the vehicle, making sure the, uh, the horn is, is working. You know, it's a good feeling if you're going to take a test and you are prepared for it. But how many of you know uh, it's a terrible feeling if you're about to take a test and you're not prepared for it? Can anybody relate to that? Uh, When you are about to take a test and you're not ready, and uh, that's why uh, there's been several studies done that it's it's been said that 40 to 60% of college students experience test anxiety, that when they're about to take a test, they get nervous and there's an anxiousness that, that overcomes them. Today, for a few minutes, what I want us to see through scripture is that one of the ways that God will grow our faith is to test our faith. The, the Bible puts it this way in First Peter chapter 1, that the trial of your faith, being much more uh, precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Uh, the Greek word there, tried and trial, is dokemion, and it means a testing or a proving. And so that, that, that the testing of your faith, the proving of your faith, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so God will often test our faith and try our faith for the purpose of strengthening our faith. Now, here's the problem. None of us like to take tests, right? I just asked it a second ago. I don't know of anybody that raised their hand. We don't like tests, but we all like what's tested. We don't like tests, but we all like what's tested, right? Uh, when you uh, drive on the road, how many of you are thankful that uh, people have to take a driver's test to be able to drive on the road? How many of you think someone should take uh, even more intensive drive tests, right, at times? And so uh, we are thankful that, uh, that there is some testing that t- has to take place. When I go to the doctor, uh, I can rest assured and be confident knowing that uh, that doctor has had to go to medical school and take uh, a series of tests in order to become that doctor. See, we all uh, don't like the test, but we all like things that are tested. Why? Because when something is tested, then it can be trusted. And it's the same with our faith today, that if you want a faith that can be trusted, then you have to have a faith that can be tested. And God will often test us in order to strengthen our faith. This is why the psalmist said in Psalm 26, verse 2, examine me, O Lord, test me, and prove me, and try my reins and my And so there is a mature heart that can pray, God, I know that in the long run, if I'm going to make it, God, if my marriage is going to be successful in the long run, and if my family is going to be raised up for the glory of God, and if we're going to be successful in the long run, I have to be willing to pass some tests along the way. And today when we come to Genesis chapter 39, what we see is that Joseph is about to experience a series of tests. And these tests would try his faith, and these tests would ultimately strengthen his faith. Now, if you remember last week, we left off Joseph. He was sold into slavery. His brothers betrayed him. His brothers were uh, very jealous of him and cruel towards him, threw him into a pit, and uh, left him to die. Uh, Judah said, we shouldn't just leave him in the pit and and leave him to die. Let's sell him into slavery and at least make a little bit of money off of him. And so some Ishmaelite traders came along, and they sold uh, Joseph into slavery. And now in Genesis chapter 39, Joseph arrives in Egypt. And when he arrives in Egypt, he is going to face four tests that I believe all of us will face in life. And so today, if you're taking notes, I want to give us four tests that every follower of Jesus will face. Will that be okay today? Four tests. Here's the first test that all of us will face. The test of adversity the test of adversity. Now, Joseph, up until this point, had already experienced his fair share of adversity. I mean, he had gone through a lot of difficulties up until this point, but now when he arrives in Egypt, he has a new set of challenges. Let's pick it up in verse number one. The Bible says this, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the missionaries, Uh, Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And so we see that Joseph arrives in Egypt and he is purchased by a man named Potiphar, who was a high ranking official in the Egyptian government. Now, this was all entirely new for Joseph. Remember, Joseph was from somewhat of an unsophisticated kind of agrarian culture uh, he was just kind of used to taking care of sheep out in the field in fact the coat of many colors suggested that Joseph didn't really have to work as hard as perhaps his brothers had worked and now Joseph is in a whole new environment now Joseph is in Egypt and he is learning a new language and experiencing new things a brand new environment that Joseph is now getting acclimated to and, and Joseph thrived and he flourished in this in this new environment. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, he talked about the Jewish exiles that were in Babylon. And he kind of gave them some instruction on what they should do when they're in a new environment. Even though they're captives, even though they're in Babylon, Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 29, verse number 7. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives. Isn't that interesting that Jeremiah says, hey, I know you're in Babylon. I know you're captives, but what you should do is seek peace. Peace. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in peace thereof ye shall have peace. I know that you're in new territory. I know that this is scary. I know that you're surrounded by people that hate you. But this is what you should do. You should pray for them. You should pray for peace. And pray that God would do something even in this new environment. And and see, this is how God works. God will often place us in an uncomfortable environment. Not that we could just blend in so that we can stand out and make a difference for him. God did this time and time again. God does this over and over again. What did he do? He sent Jonah into a wicked city called Nineveh, not to just blend in there, but to preach a revival message, to preach a message of repentance. What did he do with the Apostle Paul? He sent him over and over again into different cities that were wicked, like Corinth, not to blend in, but to preach a revival message. Can I tell you today that as followers of Jesus, that God has not called us to blend in. He has called us to stand out for his glory no matter what environment we might be in. I want you to know today that God is calling us to take a stand even in Egypt, that God is calling us to love people even in Babylon, that God is calling us to stand for truth even in California. Hey, it doesn't matter what environment you are in, God wants us to stand up for truth and to thrive in that environment. And so here is Joseph in a brand new environment uh, in Egypt, a wicked place, but he is still serving and worshiping the Lord. Verse number two says that, that the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Notice verse number two. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. See, Joseph lost a lot of things when he arrived in Egypt. He lost possessions. He lost position. He lost relationships. He lost familiarity. But there's one thing that Joseph did not lose, that he did not lose when he arrived in Egypt, the presence of God. The presence of God. And because he had the presence of God, uh, he prospered, the Bible says, that the Lord blessed him. See, the presence of God can change everything in your life. The presence of God can take a prison and turn it into a palace. But the absence of God can take a palace and turn it into a prison. And so because God was with Joseph, he was able to thrive. Can I tell you today that there is nothing as valuable as the presence of God in your life? Moses said this in Exodus 33 verse 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. In other words, Moses says, God, if you're not going to go with us, and if your presence is not even going to go before us, then, God, we don't even want to step out. God, we need your presence. God, we desire your presence. And so uh, God was prospering Joseph, even in this new environment. But I want you to see not only his environment, I want you to see his example. All right? Everybody still with me? Notice his example. We see it in verse number three. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. He saw it. He took notice of it. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. Everybody say, in his sight. In his sight. sight. And he served him, and he made him an overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And so what's happening is Potiphar is noticing there's something different about this kid. Uh, Potiphar is noticing man there's something different about Joseph and he noticed that the Lord was with him by the way that Joseph was serving with excellence uh, that example inspired Potiphar this is why at Rock Hill one of our mantras is if you serve on a dream team is that excellence matters to God and excellence inspires people. We want to serve with excellence. We want to do what we do for the glory of God. Why? Because it honors God, but also it inspires people. And what do we see here? That that Potiphar was inspired because Joseph was serving with excellence, and he was leaving a godly testimony that Potiphar was observing. You want to know one of the greatest ways that you can make a difference in your world today is to be excellent in your workplace. Is to thrive in what you do, to, to produce quality work, to be honest about your time card. To show up early. See, it's hard to invite a friend to Plus One Sunday if every day you complain about how terrible your life is and how much you hate working where you work. One of the greatest ways that you can make an impact is to leave a godly testimony and a godly example so that your coworkers say, hey, there's something different about them. They're serving with excellence. They're not complaining like everybody else, and they're not saying the things that everybody else is saying. Hey, we can stand up and shine as bright lights in a dark environment and in a dark world. And here Joseph was in a new environment, but he was leaving a godly example. He was leaving a godly testimony. Can I encourage you uh, to be in prayer this week and to invite someone next week to Plus One Sunday, but also make sure that you're leaving a godly example for them to see and for them to observe in your life. And that's exactly what Joseph is doing here. He's leaving a godly example. Example. By the way, God used this season in Joseph's life. Because Joseph was willing to serve with excellence and because he was in Potiphar's house, uh, we know that Potiphar was a high-up official in the Egyptian government, uh, that he worked closely with Pharaoh. And so because he was high up in the Egyptian government, no doubt Joseph was privy to some things that maybe other people wouldn't have heard. that, That he would have kind of understood the ins and outs of the Egyptian government because of conversations that he was able to hear and some things that he was able to see. So when later on in Joseph's life, when he's promoted to second in command in all of Egypt, spoiler alert, that's what happens. When he is promoted later on in life, he already had a foundation of knowledge that, watch this, he learned in adversity. Never underestimate what God wants to teach you in a season of adversity. Never underestimate what lessons you can learn that will be useful later on in life when you are walking through a fire, when you're walking through a difficult season. This is why the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. It's good for me that I've walked through the test of adversity. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. It's good for me to go through seasons of adversity and and pass the test of adversity because I will learn things in that adversity that otherwise I would not learn. And this is what we see with Joseph, that he was learning, and he was like a sponge taking in information while he was in Potiphar's house. And so he passed the test of adversity. Now, here's the second test this morning that Joseph faced that all of us will face. The second test is the test of prosperity. Prosperity. Now, uh, several different times we see in verses 1 and 2 that it says God prospered him. He prospered him, that Joseph was prosperous, that even though he was in a new environment, that he was away from home, that God was blessing him and God was prospering him. Notice verse number five. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house. And over all that he had, that, jo- that the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. And that the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And so Joseph is prospering and he keeps getting promoted. He's kind of climbing that ladder. Uh, Potiphar keeps noticing this and he keeps blessing and promoting Joseph so that now he's experiencing prosperity. You know, it's so very important in life when God prospers us, when God blesses us, that we respond humbly to that. That we respond humbly and that we respond with wisdom. Because the devil knows if he can't destroy you through adversity, he's going to try to destroy you through prosperity. And so now, Joseph, he passed the test of adversity. He had gone through difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. But now God is blessing him. And now he is a prosperous man. Uh, Thomas Carlyle, he was a Scottish uh, essayist, And he said this, Adversity is sometimes hard upon a man. But for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that will stand adversity. In other words, prosperity has taken a lot of casualties. That when God starts to bless and we start to become successful and things start to go well, all of a sudden we're not depending upon God anymore. We're depending upon self. Look at what I did. Look at where I'm at. I'm doing pretty good. And we start to become self-reliant. And so Joseph was now having to pass the test of prosperity. Notice verse 6. It even is elevated to a new level. Watch verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He gave all that he had in Joseph's hand. In other words, he was trusting Joseph with everything and he knew not what he had. And so essentially, Potiphar said, you know what, Joseph, I trust you completely to oversee and to manage the affairs of my household, so much so that I'm not even sure sometimes what's going on, but I trust you, Joseph, you can take care of it all. And so uh, he promotes him, save the bread which he did eat. He wanted to know what he was going to have for dinner. Uh, And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And so Joseph was given control and access over everything that Potiphar had. Uh, Daniel, come up here for a second if you can help me with this for a moment so uh, God was blessing Joseph and he was prospering Joseph and so what happens is Potiphar says I'm gonna let you be the overseer the manager of my household everybody with me so far this morning and so, in other words, Potiphar was saying, hey, Dana, hold your hands out open like this. He says, I'm going to put some things in your hand. In fact, if you notice in verse 6, he says, all that was in his hand. And so he's going to give Joseph some things in his hand. He says, you know what, all, all the money that I have, all the credit cards that I have, Joseph, now uh, are in your hand, okay? And uh, all the credit cards, um, uh, the keys to my car, hey, Joseph, it's in your hand. Potiphar was saying, everything that I own is now in your hand, even some AirPods, now, they, they are in your hands, and, uh, but, but notice, notice, MMC, they're, they're still my AirPods, okay, so, um, all the cash that I have, okay. that's a lot of cash, right, now, it's in, it's in your hand, yeah. now, it's very important, Potiphar was not saying to Joseph, this is all yours, everybody tracking with me this morning, he's not saying, Joseph, it's all yours, Merry Christmas, He's saying, these are my things, but I'm trusting these things. I'm putting them in your hand to what? To oversee them, to manage them. In other words, Joseph was a steward. Because by definition, a steward is someone that oversees or manages something that is not their own. And so here's the question. How are you handling the things that God has put in your hand? Because God has blessed us with so much. And he is entrusted in our hands so much. But oftentimes we think, good, more for me. Look at what I can do. I can call the shots with all this that's in my hand. It's my car. It's my money. It's my house. I worked hard for it. I paid for it. I'm going to do what I want to do. But God says we have to remember, he is the owner of it all. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God blesses us with all that we have, but he wants to trust us to oversee and to steward that which he has given us. And so today, when it comes to our resources, when it comes to our time, talent, and treasure, God has blessed us and given us so much, but how are we stewarding it? By the way, because so often uh, we think in terms of spending. How am I spending my time? How am I spending my resources? Uh, But see, there's a difference between spending your life and stewarding your life. Because if you end up just spending your life, you will end up squandering your life. There's a big difference between spending and stewarding. And so today, when it comes to the resources that God has given us, if God has uh, given us a good job, are we taking that that, that income that God has blessed us with? It's his money anyways. And are we saying, God, I want to be faithful to manage that and to give back to you the first 10%. That's the principle of the tithe. The word tithe means tenth. We believe in the principle of the tithe, that God owns it all. Right? We are just stewards like Joseph. We're just managing, and we can give back to God that first 10%. When it comes to your time, I wonder, does God have editing rights to your schedule? Good. When it comes to your time, are you are saying, this is, this is uh, my time. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or are we saying, you know what, God has blessed me with the same 24 hours in the day as everyone else, and I'm going to steward that time for him because ultimately it's his time that he's given me. And so when it comes to our time, when it comes to our talent, when it comes to our treasure, are we using the gifts that God has given us, the talents that God has given us, are we using it for him and for his glory? This is the principle of stewardship. Let's give it up for Daniel this morning. Thank you so much. (laughs) Don't go behind that curtain with all that stuff, Daniel. (laughs) Need some accountability back there. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful, And so here we see Joseph doing exactly this. He's, he's a steward of what God has given him. George Mueller, he was a German missionary uh, who opened orphanages in England. He wrote this, Let us walk as stewards and not act like owners, keeping for ourselves the means with which the Lord has entrusted us. He has not blessed us that we may gratify our own carnal mind, but for the sake of using our money in his service and to his praise. And so how are we handling what God has handed to us? This is the test of prosperity. Number three today, here's a third test, the test of purity, the test of purity. Now, growing up playing sports, a lot of times our coaches would have us come and sit down in the locker room and we would have a film session. How many of you playing sports ever had a film session? Sometimes they're very long and boring and tedious and you've got to watch hours of tape and the reason you have a film session is because you want to kind of study your weaknesses and, and uh, uh, some things that you can do better but ultimately... You want to watch the other team and some of their habits and how they are going to try to defeat you. Now, when we come to Genesis chapter 39 and the next few verses that we're going to look at, essentially what we're looking at is some game film. And we're going to see exactly how the devil works and operates. We're going to be able to look at some of his most famous plays from his playbook so that we can stand against the temptations that come our way. How many of you think it would be beneficial for us in 2022 to take a look at the devil's playbook so that we can not give in to the traps and temptations of the devil? Anybody think that would be beneficial for us today? And so we're going to look at these verses to see if we can pass the test of purity. James 1.14 says this, but every man is tempted. That essentially means that none of us are above temptation, okay? All of us need to lean in and to listen to what the Bible has to say about this subject because every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. I was reading... Uh, last week, uh, there's a 20-year-old from Alabama. He started his own business, and uh, it's a business for suspicious couples. And if there's a couple that thinks uh, one of their significant others or, or a partner is not being faithful to them, what he'll do in his company is you can hire him for $10 to send a flirting-tempting message on social media and to see if they pass the test and to see if they respond to that. And uh, he decided to do this. He gets more than 100 requests a day. He ended up quitting his job because he's making over Eight thousand dollars a month uh, just setting up these traps and temptations for all these people. So there's a lot that we can learn from that, but one thing that we can learn from that is that temptation today is incessant, and often we don't know how to defeat it. Temptation is something that all of us will face on a daily basis, and so often, even amongst followers of Jesus, we're not quite sure how to get victory over those traps And temptations. And so, as we go through this quickly, what I want us to see is from this text five lies of the enemy in regards to temptation. Would that be okay? Five lies from the enemy in regards to temptation. We'll go through these quickly, but I believe it's worth jotting down. Here's the first lie it's okay to just look. It's okay to just look. Notice verse number seven. Verse seven says this, and it came to pass. After these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And so it all started with one look. It all started with her casting her eyes upon Joseph. And, and see, the lie of the enemy is it's okay to just look. By the way, this is, uh, this is a play from the devil's playbook all the way in the beginning at the garden. Uh, that they, they looked at the fruit, and it was pleasant to the eyes. The devil knows that if you won't look right, then you won't live right. And so this is a trap and a lie that so often people believe. That is why the pornography industry is an industry that makes billions and billions of dollars because there are so many people that are believing this lie. It's okay to just look. It's not affecting anybody else. Nobody else has to know about it. It's okay to just look. And it's a lie from the enemy. Your eye always affects your heart for better or for worse. That's why Job said, I will make a covenant with my eyes. I'm going to be careful the direction that I'm looking. And so the first lie is it's okay to just look. Here's the second lie. It's not that big of a deal. So often the devil wants us to think, hey, it's really not that big of a deal. Just relax a little bit. We're in 2022. Times are changing. Hey, just, just kind of calm down a little bit. But notice what happens in verse number 7. And, he, and she cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. I heard one pastor say, uh, she was not saying, let's not tell the truth together, <laughs> right? She was, she was inviting him in. Hey, come and lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is, what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into mine hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept me back from anything uh, but thee, because thou art his wife. Watch this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. See, what Joseph did was he called sin what it was. This is great wickedness before God. He didn't minimize it, he didn't trivialize it. See, we are masters at sophisticating sin and dignifying defilement. Uh, we we will come up with all kinds of different terms to kind of excuse or to minimize our sin. It's not that big of a deal. That's why several years ago, you might remember there was a website called Ashley Madison that was all in the news. And their tagline was, life is short, have an affair. And and millions of people would go to this website outside of the boundaries of marriage looking for something more. Life is short, have an affair. See, we're living in a culture that wants to minimize sin and wants to say, hey, it's no big deal. But the reason why Joseph could withstand this temptation is because he says, no, this is a big deal. How can I do this great wickedness before God? See, as followers of Jesus, we have to start being honest about sin. It's sin that put Jesus on the cross. It's sin that separated us from God. And we ought to take very seriously what put Jesus on the cross. And so we can't minimize sin. And so the first lie is it's okay to just look. The second lie is it's not that big of a deal. The third lie is this. It's only one time. Verse number 10 says this. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. See, sometimes we think, I'll give in a temptation, but it's just this once. <laughs> just one time I'll give into it but can I tell you that temptation is incessant it's constant it's day by day even when Jesus experienced temptation in the wilderness in Luke chapter number 4 it says that the devil departed from him after Jesus was victorious and then it says this for a season see you defeat temptation today guess what it's going to come back tomorrow You get victory today, it's going to come back tomorrow. And that's why we need to always be on guard and put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. And so in verse number 10, day by day. But I love this little phrase, uh, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her. Watch this. Or to be with her. Can I tell you there's great wisdom in that verse? Now, that verse is laughable in 2022 culture today. We mock people that put up provisions like this. We laugh at people that want to take sin seriously and want to have some guardrails in their life. We will mock it and we will belittle it. Uh, But Joseph said, you know, I'm not even going to be with you because the Bible says to not even make provision for the flesh. I'm not going to Netflix and chill with you, Potiphar's wife. No, I'm not just going to hang out and kind of see what happens. I'm not even going to be with you. There were some guardrails that he put into place. And, And so Joseph is withstanding this temptation from the enemy. Here's the fourth lie. No one will ever know. How often does the devil want to trip trip us up with this tactic? No one's ever going to know. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No one's ever going to know. Notice it, verse number 11. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within, of course. Because the devil always wants to trap you when you're isolated, when you're alone. The devil likes to attack, and the devil likes to hit us, H-I-T. Temptation comes when we're hungry, isolated, or tired. That's when the devil wants to hit. That's when the devil wants to attack. When we're hungry, isolated, or tired, when we're all alone, the devil wants to attack, and he wants us to believe this lie that, hey, no one else is ever going to know about this. It's just our little secret, no problem. But we have to recognize that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Amen. Good. The lie no one will ever know. Ecclesiastes says, God shall bring every work into judgment. Everywhere. And so the next lie is this the fifth lie, you have no choice. Because in verse number 12, it says this, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. She, she caught him by the garment. So, in other words, she grabbed him, and now she's not asking anymore. Now she's telling. Remember, she is Joseph's boss, she is Joseph's superior. And so in other words, she's saying, I'm not asking anymore. I'm telling you, if you want to keep this job, I know that you have a comfortable position right now, Joseph, and you've been promoted into command in this house, but if you want to keep this job, you're going to come and lie with me. I'm not asking. I'm telling. There are times when temptation is so strong that we think, man, I don't even have a choice. I don't think I can get victory. But can I tell you, you always have a choice. What did Joseph do? He refused. Joseph offered an immediate refusal, and he fled, and he got out of there. He ran away. The greatest way to defeat temptation is not to resist. It's to run. It's to get out of there. Joseph ran and got himself out of that situation. Now, I want to give you some encouraging news today. Anybody ready for some encouraging news this morning? Because perhaps there have been some of you in the room that have been uh, losing the battle to to temptation. Perhaps there's been some of you that are battling and battling and you're looking for victory. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, that all of us are going to experience temptation. But watch this. But God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, even when we fall short, even when we give in, even when we make mistake after mistake, I want you to know that our God is still faithful right. and that God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is never an excuse to sin, but there is always an escape route. And today you can get victory in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 6 that sin shall not have dominion over you. You can get victory over sin today, not in your own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and the way of the escape that our faithful God provides. You can get the victory. And so this is great news for us today. We can pass the test of purity. We can stand strong against the temptations from the enemy because the Holy Spirit can fill us and enable us and empower us to do what we otherwise would not be able to do but I want to encourage you today if you're serious about defeating temptation to take a look at those five lies and to determine you know what I'm going to defeat temptation uh, by the way temptation is typically defeated before temptation arrives if you're waiting till in the heat of the moment to look for that escape route you're probably not going to find it if you're on a diet that escape route is not in the line at Krispy Kreme drive through it's too late at that point it's too far gone. <laughs> temptation is typically defeated before temptation arrives. Joseph was able to defeat temptation because he made a pre-decision. Right. And I want to encourage some of you to learn to memorize scripture, to hide God's word in your heart, and to make a predecision so that when that temptation comes, you are already ready to withstand the attack from the enemy. This is the test of purity. There's one more test today. Are you ready for it? Yes, Number four is the test of integrity. And so Joseph had to pass the test of adversity, he had to pass the test of prosperity with all that Potiphar put in his hand, then he had to test the, uh, pass the test of purity with Potiphar's wife, and now he's going to have to pass the test of integrity. Let's pick it up in verse 13. And it came to pass when, he saw, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew, talking about her husband, unto us to mock us. He came in unto me with, uh, to lie uh, with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when, when he heard that I had lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me. And he fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And So in other words, since Joseph was strong against that temptation, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife was so upset about this that she makes up a lie about him. She tells everybody in the house, Joseph tried to assault me. Joseph wanted to sleep with me. Look, here's his coat to prove it. At this point, Joseph just needs to stop wearing coats, right? I mean, it's like one one too many problems with coats. Look at his coat to prove it. She ends up repeating the same story to Potiphar when he comes home, tells him the same story. Look how Potiphar responds in verse 19. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, Which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. So Potiphar is very upset. By the way, I think it's interesting. The Bible doesn't say that Potiphar was very upset with Joseph. It just says that he was very upset. Later on, Potiphar eventually promotes Joseph again, which may be an indication that Joseph, or that Potiphar perhaps didn't believe the lie of his wife. We don't know that to be sure. But Potiphar is extremely upset, throws Joseph in prison, verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. This was a different prison. This is not where the commoners went to prison. This was a prison that was attached to uh, the palace, essentially. This was a close-by prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. The psalmist talked about this experience, Joseph being in prison. Can you just imagine the ups and downs of Joseph's life? He finally felt like he had things together you know, Egypt's not so bad. I'm, I'm getting promoted and God's using me. The Lord is with me. And, and uh, man, I've got this high up position now. It feels pretty good. And now he finds himself in a dark, lowly place once again. The psalmist talked about this in Psalm 105 or 17. He sent a man before even Joseph who was sold for a servant whose feet they hurt with fetters. Such a relatable moment here when Joseph was put in this prison that his feet hurt with fetters. Now he's chained. He's locked up. Notice verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Everywhere Joseph went, God was blessing him. Charles Spurgeon said, like a cork which you may push down, but is sure to come up again. So was Joseph. He just kept on coming back up again. I want to read the two closing verses in our text today, but as I do, would you join me in standing as we look at these verses? Verse 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Now Joseph's in charge of the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Verse 23, and the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. In other words, Joseph held the keys to his own cell. You can only give the keys to the cell of a prisoner that has integrity. The keeper of the prison trusted Joseph so much. He honored Joseph so much. He was such a man of integrity that he says, hey, you're in charge. Here's the keys to it all. How could this be? Verse 23, because the Lord... Was with him. Is anyone noticing a theme to Genesis 39? This is really not just a chapter about temptation. This is a chapter about the sovereignty of God and the presence of God. How could Joseph pass all of these tests? The Lord was with him. How could he pass the test of adversity and prosperity and purity and integrity? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He had a real relationship with God. Today, the only way that you will be able to withstand the tests that come your life, into your life, is if you have a real relationship with God and you depend on his presence and not your own power. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. Today, if you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, if you've never accepted the gift of eternal life by receiving Jesus Christ into your life, then the Lord does not dwell within you. God's presence is everywhere. But do you know him personally? Have you invited Jesus Christ in to be your Lord and Savior? Because that is the only way that you will be able to be victorious in this life and reign in the next. The Lord was with him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.